Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Guest today is Doug Atkins. Now, Doug has had a traumatic past. And sometimes we say that, but it doesn't have the same kind of impact as when we talk about someone who's had a past like Doug. And the reason is because his 17-year-old daughter was brutally slayed, was killed, was murdered. I mean, that is a stress that very few people in this life have to endure. And Doug is not only a survivor of that, tragedy but also it's part of why his life turned around and we're going to hear him share that story he also lost his wife after an 18 month battle with a horrific death horrific disease and that again is a loss that can make a lot of people just want to roll over and quit but not Doug Doug stuck with um, his mission in life, which we're going to hear about, and that's very exciting. And I'm not going to share too much more because we want Doug to share it. Doug became a bitter man, and this is another thing that he's going to share with us. And he had hatred in his life, and that hatred he turned towards God, which I also think is not an unusual thing for people to do when so much tragedy comes into their life. So without further ado, let's welcome Doug Atkins. Hi, Doug. Hi, Hi, Carol. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day here in Washington. Where are you located? I'm in Boston. It's just as nice out here as it is out there. Oh, that's good. No humidity? No, we're dry as can be. Okay. (laughs) The the plants are shriveling and the trees are dying. Oh, that's terrible. You need some rain. We need to get some of that rain, rain from the south and bring it up here, right? Yeah, that's what we need. They need to share a little bit of their rain down there. That's right. So let's start, Doug, by talking about your youth, because there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma here that I, I would like you to share as much as you can with our listening audience, because people do go through trauma, a lot of trauma, and some people have real good coping skills and others don't. And this is what we hope to be able to help our audience with is some coping skills today. So let's start with your youth. You said that you did a lot of partying, et cetera. Were you running away from something or did you grow up in a in a good, solid environment? No, I, well, I actually grew up in, in a very nice, well-to-do family, um, but I was always sort of the radical. I did... um. LSD when I was 13 years old, and that really led to me really? wanting like that really wanted me to get into the really high intensity things like um other type drugs and not so much pot. I thought pot was kind of boring. Um, and I got into like anti-Vietnam protests and I was always in trouble in school. Um, 
you know, I had no particular opinion of God at the time. I know in the 60s, you know, it was what you did. You went to church with your parents, and that's what everybody did, but I really didn't care one way or the other. Okay. In fact, sometimes I kind of have a fond memory of um, a friend of mine and me sneaking out of church and spending, spending our tithe dime on um, at the penny store. <laughs> I'm buying candy at the penny right, store. Right, right. You know, that, well, that's kind of sinful at the time, but um, that's how it goes, you know. Um, and I went through four high schools in four years. Wow. Um, I just kept getting thrown out of them. Um, and my junior year, I ran away, and I ended up living on the streets of Boston. And I hooked up with a couple there, and they were um, they were drug dealers, and they they sold heroin and um, acid and things like that. And they never really pushed heroin on me. They just had me um, sell drugs on the street and change my keep. And I got to know what, what, what I call the circle was, and that's when junkies sit around in a circle and share a needle with each other, needle and spoon with each other as they pass it around getting their fixes. Um, and that was my first experience with um, intravenous drugs was back then. Um, but I, I, um, I kept getting in trouble, and one time after I, when I was in college, um, I got in some real trouble, and the judge says, okay, you can do three to five in jail, or you can go, go to the Army for two years. And it wasn't much of a stretch because, um, you know, the, the, what is it, two years or three to five years? There's not right, much of a choice. Right. But it was kind of ironic because I was always into anti-Vietnam protests, and here I was going in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> that but is. I, I just didn't I just didn't really see my, my principles on that one. I had to dump that. Um, and the Army was like real heaven to me. I really liked the structure. Um, you know, it really did a lot. It changed me completely. Um you know, I got, I got three promotions in less than a year. I got two letters of accommodation while I was there. Um, and I was still doing um, drugs and stuff like that, you know, shooting. And But I really enjoyed it. I really excelled that, and I really loved it. Um, and I was really thinking of it as a career. You know, it was one of the best things that happened to me, so I thought maybe I'll do it for a career. And I was over in Germany at the time, and my every time I called my family, um, on, on you know, once a week I'd call them. And I talked to my father, and he said, well, I can't wait for you to get home. You know, we got our family business, of course, and we want you. We got a job for you and everything, and can't wait to see you till you get into the job and stuff. So I, I had a newfound respect for my father, having been in the Army, and, you know, he was always bailing me out of trouble, and I looked at it as a ticket to freedom when I was in high school, but now I had a whole new respect for my father. So I left the potential career in the Army for um, working at my family business, and, um, you know, ever since I, I get out, there was, I didn't shoot up anymore, although I did, still did LSD and alcohol and, um, you know, frequently had women. Um, and that was going okay. But then one day, my uncle and my father took me and my cousin out to dinner. And we thought that was um, something fun. But actually what, what they told us was that they were selling the business and we were not going to be any part of it in the future. Um, and I understood the reasoning. I'm not mad at them for that. But I was just really angry that I lost a career in the Army. Um, and that sort of led to a whole new era of drugs and sex. Um, yeah. I, got a, I, got a, um, I got a married woman pregnant. Um, and, you know, I couldn't even love myself. I didn't see how I could love another daughter. Um, love a daughter, I'm sorry. Um, so we just went our separate ways. She and her husband and, and, and our baby moved to, um, down south. And I stayed up here and we just sort of separated our ways. But, you know, I just stay in touch a little bit, but not, not, not much. And I was, I, at the time, I was always partying and coming home, and I never know how I – when I woke up in the morning, I never know how I got home. And I was doing it – for years and years, I did that. 
And then one day I met my um a girl named Kathy, and she's like different than everybody else, you know. Um, she was she didn't hardly do drugs. She didn't do drugs at all. She hardly drank. She didn't smoke. She was very smart, which was much all that was much different than any other woman that I'd ever met. And we fell in love, and we was married six months after we met. And that doesn't seem like a long time, but we knew it was right. But you know, she straightened me out. And but the problem is, um, I had no memory left. I, I can't remember things at all ever since then. I think it kind of my brain was kind of fried. Right, right. Um, and you know, um, a couple of years later, our son Justin was born, and this was the beginning of things that was uh, um, it was really strange. One day, was um, driving through the mountains of New Hampshire which is nothing like the mountains of Washington. There's just like big <laughs> hills, basically. But we was driving down what's called the Kangamangas Highway in New Hampshire at night, and all of a sudden, poof, our lights just went out, and it was complete blackness. And I was right in the middle of going around a corner, so I just jacked on my brakes, and thankfully I didn't go over the edge because there's no guardrails. But I just escaped death by just some, by some odd miracle. I didn't really think much of it at the time. Um, was, you know, But that was just one of the many incidents that I'll tell you about. Um, as things went on, you know, I, and my love, my son grew, um, I kept thinking, well, well, what about my daughter? I wonder what she's doing. I wonder if she does see like school. Is she bad in school? Is she a troublemaker like me or a little angel like, like my boy? Um, and so my, my wife, Kathy and I decided we would start to see if we could find her so I could get be involved in her life. And just as soon as we found where she was, we were just then and there that she was just murdered and it was really brutal. She was stabbed 72 times. What? Uh, and, My it, word. and and just just the sheer violence put me in a state of shock. No kidding. And um, you know, I, I wasn't obviously connected with the life, but I was, you know, connected with it because I wanted to become part of a life. And just it was just brought to such a horrifying end, um, that I was just you know I started having nightmares. Um, you know, my hate for God really started to come. Like you know, I I since learned a lot about her. Um, she is um had been volunteer of the year at a local hospital two years in a row. She wanted to devote her life to helping others by being a physical therapist. And she's really a great kid. And I just couldn't see how God could bring such a violent end to somebody who was so sweet and like that. But it, it took a little while. But um, eventually I was kind of okay with it after a couple of years. But then one day I was driving down the highway and it just popped in my head that I'm responsible for my daughter's death. And... And you, you ask why, and because if I had been a real father and been a father to her, she never would have moved away, and she would never have been in harm's way, so therefore it was my fault that she was killed. If I had been a better father, she never would have been moved, and she, she would have been just fine, and that really hit me hard. So um, the, the guilt must have been overwhelming for you Oh, it's un- unimaginable, yeah. I just couldn't get over the guilt. But, um... You know, the nightmares came back, you know, 10 times worth. I was hospitalized several times. Um, for for stress? For stress and PTSD because I kept having nightmares, kept okay. having visions of her being murdered. Did you and ever find out why? It a long time why? to get over that. Did you, was, was she just at the wrong place at the wrong time or did you ever find no, out why? No, she was um, in her apartment and somebody had made her way into the apartment building. And he just got what started knocking on doors, and she was the first one that opened the door, so that was her end. Just like, uh, but we don't really know why she was murdered because he never took the stand when he was convicted. Oh dear. So we'll never know why he actually did it. Um. And she was I, seventeen at the time. She was seventeen at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and he was sixteen at the time that he did it. 
Wow. So, so the, the, the tough thing is it's been um, 20 years, and in five more years he'll come out with a, since he was a juvenile, he, you know, but he was tried as an adult, but still with a new court ruling in the Superior Court, you know, he can be, um, he was hearing after 25 years because he was a minor. Um, so he could come up for parole in five years, which I really hope he doesn't get because um, obviously he was, he was such a savage um, the way that he killed my daughter that he deserves to be in there for life. He should never get out, you know? Yeah, why should he? Why should he be alive and your daughter is not? I mean, that's one of the things that I think parents in your position go through. So, how are you able though to forgive him? Like, is there, um, even though he did this, I mean, how do you cope with that? Um, I don't know. He um he destroyed a pretty um a pretty nice life, you know. Um, and he destroyed a very beautiful woman, and I don't think that he deserves to. Be free. I, I think, in my opinion, um, you know, the death penalty isn't the best thing because they kind of get off easy. Right. You know what I mean? If they're in prison and they're having a tough time, you know, if they're getting beat up all the time and not getting along with the inmates, you know, that's a fitting um, punishment for somebody that's done something like that. But if they, um, you know, give him the needle or whatever and he just goes right to sleep, he's kind of getting off a little bit easy, I think. Although, although you know, depending on your religious perspective, it could mean that he's going to hell all that much sooner. But I don't, I don't know, you know. Well, that's so a anyway. tough one. I mean, you you're coping with it still, even though it's 20 years ago. You're still in the middle of coping with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So anyway, long story short, um, I eventually, after many many years, I started getting to be kind of okay with that. Um, and then just as I was getting better, um. You know, I got my life back on track. I, you know, went to college. I got my college degree. And the same year I went to get my college degree, my wife started getting sick. Um, and she had scoliosis. And there was a, you know, that's a curvature of the spine, yes. if you don't know. Yes. And that kept getting worse and worse. And eventually it cut off her breathing and her ability to swallow. Oh, so my she had word. To have a, um, she had to have a food tube put in her throat. I mean, I'm sorry, a, a tracheotomy put in her throat and a food tube put in her stomach. And the food tube was put in wrong because, you know, the curvature was one to the she was curving to the left. And they put it on the right side, which means the skin was really tight there. So even from the very day that they put in the food tube, it was leaking stomach acid out of her. Oh, my goodness. Onto her skin. And, and, you know, like this, I think there's either sulfuric or hydrochloric acid in stomach acid. I don't know which it is, but it's one of the two. And it was, burn, it was burning her skin. And that just continued to get worse and worse. Um... And eventually they wasn't able to use the um, food tube because you put something in. As soon as you put something in, it'd come right out again. Um, so she started getting what's called TPN, and that's um, um, nutrition intravenously through a needle. And, of course, as you, you may know, I don't know, but when the body has something foreign in it, eventually it's going to um, reject it unless, yes. unless you want, you know, like, like you say um, – Transplant organ transplant patients right. have to have something different. You know, have to have something for the rest of their lives. But there was always something in Kathy's body, like those needles, and eventually her body would reject them, and they would get infected. How long was she in the hospital? Eighteen months before she died. Oh my goodness. And and then. Um, and how did you cope with that? Like, what I was your- I was just I was just real real busy. I was I was like I was there like you know fourteen, sixteen, eighteen hours a day, sometimes twenty four hours a day. You know, it was just I just sat by your side and kept her company the whole time that she was in there. 
and I just didn't really think about it. I just helped as much as I could. Um, and it was very difficult to see it like that, obviously. Yes. But, um, you know, I just sort of, you know, I helped her in any way I could. They let me bathe her. They let me um, um, adjust her in her bed. They let me do a lot of stuff with her, like, you know, the, so save the nurses time. I was always good to the nurses to do whatever they said and, and, and then some to save them their work because they would give us preferential treatment. Like whenever she needed a pain shot, you know, they wouldn't have to wait for it like other patients because I was so good to the nurses. And we could get it, you know, pretty much right off the bat. And there mm-hmm. was never any wait for the pain medicine. So so I was treating them very well. And then towards the end, I was, I was mentioning the um, intravenous needles. You know, she had main lines and pick lines and um, other type, um, other different lines going into her. And they all got infected. And one day, one of the infections got ahead of her. And she came down with sepsis, which is a poisoning of the blood. Um, and they wasn't able to stop it. And she was in so much pain. Um, from that and from the blood, you know, from the burning on her um, stomach that, you know, the, 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 she was quiet 24 hours, seven, you know, 24 hours a day, oh, seven days goodness. a week. And she didn't want to have any um, pain medicine because that slowed down her heart and she was afraid of dying. Um, even though she was at peace with God, she said, she, I kept asking her and she said, yes, she's at peace with God, but um, she was still afraid to die. She wasn't ready to go. And then about a week before she passed away, she went into a coma, thankfully, and she died peacefully in her sleep about a week later. How did your son deal with this? Um, he he never really liked to go see in the hospital and see her sick. He was always, you know, I would get her in, get him in, or somebody would bring him in to the hospital. Um, you know, and he needed to stay for an hour or two or something, but he never really liked to see in his mother in the hospital because, you know, she was always. Um, and how old was he at this time? He was, um, let me see, he was um, 20, 20 to 22, I think, at the okay, time. Okay, okay. Um, so so he, was, he, was, he was definitely not okay with it, but he, um, he's, you know, he coped it, you know, as well as I did once she passed away. Um, but my, um, my point was that at that point I hated God even more because, um, because, you know, she was such. She said, you know, she had got me all through my nightmares. She had helped me all with all my depression. You know, she got me in the hospital when I needed to go to the hospital through all the ordeal that I went through with my daughter. So now I question, how could God allow such suffering on such a beautiful person? I just didn't get it. So my hate for God grew even more. Um, so, so that was, you know, it, it was just got worse and worse over the years. It's never getting better. And this, um. There's, can I read a Bible verse to you? Sure. Let me see if I can dig it out. It's called um, Psalms 13, 1 and 2. And this is exactly how I viewed my life. It says, um, how long, Lord, will you, for- will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And I just really li- lived. That was just my life completely for so many years after all that, you know. Well, like um, many people go through that, and it's it's it, you don't understand, and you you question everything because you have a complete lack of understanding of why. What did you do to deserve this? Why are you in this position? And why I, is this happening? You know, and, and did God not love you? Does He not care? I mean, that is not uncommon with people who have suffered trauma such as you have. Yeah, I, I know, and and, that's, and people said that that they can understand why I'd be mad. Um, but 
you know, I just, I just, I just was not, I was just, in, you know, I just too, couldn't get over it. Um, but while she was sick, I met so many people that were doing such nice things to her, you know. Um, you know everybody tried so hard and everybody was so nice to us that I, I thought I should kind of get back. Um, you know, I came to learn that no, nobody should die alone. Um, you know, I, I saw many people in hospitals that, that died. There were nobody there by their bedside. Um, you know, and I was always with Kathy. I didn't think people should die alone. So I got into hospice. Um, I was, you know, obviously homeless as a kid for a while on the streets. So I, I was advocating for homeless. Um, I, I, of, of all my crimes when I was a child, I thought criminals deserved a second chance because Lord knows I get plenty of second chances, you know. So I was a mentor for criminal, uh, criminal offenders. Um, and so I just started doing good for others, even though, you know, I was so angry at God, I still believe. Um, that a software turns away wrath, if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, and I was okay. I was kind of okay with Kathy dying. Not, I'm not really okay with it. I don't mean to say that, I, but I was. It was. It was a relief that she went because she had suffered so badly for so long. You know, it, it was. It was a, a good thing that the Lord had taken her away. Um, but then, you know, so I started dating maybe oh, I don't know, eight or ten months after she passed away, and I met a girl named Terry. Um, and you want to talk about opposites attracting. She was a devout Christian, and here I was really hating God. Um, and, you know, just like opposites attract. But we never really much discussed it just to keep the um, conversation so it wouldn't get too heated or anything like that. We just okay. didn't really discuss that sort of thing. And then one day she invited me to go to church with her. And I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, oh, well, geez, this should be fun. You know, let's go for it. Go for it. And, um... You know, uh, they were, we was in church, and they, they, the church is um, called New Hope Chapel in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And they sat out with a rock band. They do, like, um, you know, four or five songs with a rock band. And they were all praising the Lord and saying how great Jesus is and how great God is. And I'm just there, I'm just there fuming, saying, like, how can people be drawn in by such baloney? You know, how could <laughs> the God doesn't allow good things to happen. He just allows bad things to happen. You know, and, and, I, and I think about... Not only my daughter and my wife, but things in the past, like you know, all the geocides about history and the going with the rise of terrorism and um, you know the the sex market in the in the Orient and the Eastern Europe. And I just said, I just kept thinking on these things. How could the God people praise God that all the bad stuff that happens in the world? I just didn't get it, you know. Um, but it, it, we we kept going every week after week because she wanted me to go, and I just figured, what the heck, I might as well go too. Um, and I just guess it kind of came on me sort of gradual. I don't, there was no really moment of epiphany. Um, but, um, I just sort of kind of believe that. was outweighing the negative is yeah, in your yeah, life. Yeah. And I don't exactly know what it was that caused me to change. I guess I was thinking, trying to think of a reason that God did, that a good law, God did exist more than I tried to think of a good law, a bad law that, that existed so eventually, I came to the accepting that, that a good God and a benevolent God does exist. Um, and so since then, I've kind of loved the music, and the pastor's always got a good message. He's um he's very funny. He's always telling jokes during his sermons. They're not boring at all. They're really funny. Uh, and um you know so that's uh, and I was just baptized um last October. Um so I'm really I've been turned around. And like I say, no particular moment in time did I just say, you know, you know, a loving God exists. It just sort of came on very gradual. Um, 
How but the you... thing is, you know, after all that, I had to ask myself, why did I survive all of these years? Yes. All the things that I did, you know, all the, you know, literally thousands of times I drove home at night and, um, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and not even remember how I got home, let alone where I was the night before, you know. Um, you know, there was that mountain drive along the road that I told you about. Um, I had a motorcycle at one point. I was always driving it like a maniac, you know, 100, 120 miles an hour or whatever. Um, and all the nights coming home from seeing Kathy, I'd be, she was in Boston and I was in, I live in a little suburb called Middleborough. Um, and it was like a 40 mile drive in there. So, so I'd be, you know, I'd, be, you know, I'd get, you know, like I said, I was to say 14, 16, 18, sometimes 24 hours a day I'd be there. So I'd be running on, usually on, you know, three or four, maybe on a good night, five hours sleep. So I was just existing like a zombie. And, and why did the gods see me to drive home safely all those times? Why did I never fall asleep? I just, I just didn't get it. And, and I had to ask myself why. And, and I'd been philosophized and thought about that a lot. And I, I came to th realize that Terry was his was my gift from him, uh, from God. Um, you know, she was the one that brought me to Jesus and the Lord. Um, she's the one that you know changed me completely. Um, so I think that he intended me to, to survive all those times so that I would meet Terry and turn my life around. I really believe that. Well, many um, times when we when we go through things, um, intense things in particular, is we don't know how we're going to help people who have gone through similar circumstances later in yeah. life. And it's not, you know, it's not that we have to go through these things, but it certainly puts you in a position of empathy and sympathy. And you can give, you know, have people draw from that strength when they understand that someone else has gone through this too. And I think that's the position that you have finally found yourself in at this point, that, you know, things turned around and you turned your life around. And yes, you have a negative past, but how many people are you going to be able to help who also have had tragedy and don't have God? They didn't. They don't understand that you know God can help them and help and turn their life around. And you're in a position where you are sharing that. Yeah, I I, I know I am, and I realize that. Um, I I like to say to you, audience, that if you're unsure of God's love, you've got to know that God's watching over you all the time. You know, you've got to know that God's watching over you all the time, like He was for me. He's He's there for you, and He's always there for you when you need Him. Um, so that's. That's the kind of the lesson that I learned. You know, I started doing good things for others and good things started happening to me. And I think that's one of the things you need to do to, in order to find God is to start doing good for others and then good things will start happening to you. And Go I think, ahead. Go ahead. I think, I think also that I'm, I was saved because, um, you know, I didn't die any of those times because um, right. he wants me to spread, you know, share my story with other people, just like that's you said. Right. That's right. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I survived is to help non-believers See that there is really a Lord out there that, that's looking out for you. How did you kick your drug addiction? Um, well, I um, when I was in the army and I was, I was shooting, I wasn't shooting a lot, maybe once or twice a week or something like that. And I never had, and I was aware, I saw what people had done and how they got addicted and how to addict people. When I was in in high school, when I went away, I saw how they could could draw people in to get them addicted. Um, and they would be, you know, have like a drug of choice, like giving them always heroin or always meth or whatever. Um, and I was very careful to, to, to spread, to, to vary my usage. I would have, 
let's say heroin one day, and then the next week I'd have crystal meth, and the next week week I'd have um, morphine, and the next week I'd skip or whatever. So I never really um, got hooked on one drug in particular. I had a variety that I used, and that, and I think that's what saved me from being, you know, absolutely addicted. Okay. Okay. So that was now. Now you have. Um you're you're happily married. Yeah, I'm you happily have found married. God in your life. He has helped turn your life around. He has given you a new perspective, a new hope. You have your son. And do you have any grandchildren? Are you uh, is your son um, married well, or? Well, well, none none from my son. However, when I married Terry, um, she has three kids of her own, and with them we have seven grandkids that I, six grandkids that I inherited. And we got one more on the way, which is due in July. Oh, that's that's wonderful. And you're going to be there where you weren't for your daughter. You can now be there for your grandchildren. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I try that's to wonderful. As I can to them. So what um, now? Where do you share your story? Like, is there? Uh, do you have a platform? You mentioned something about a, a cruise. Is that a platform where you are yeah, going that, to be sharing your that's, story? That's going, to, that's going to be one platform. Um, I'm always, I haven't been on the speaking circuit much, but because I, I don't really know how to get on the speaking circuit. Um, but if I could find regular gigs where I could give my speech or my testimony, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and we're working on a cruise. Um, a friend of mine and I, um, and it's called From Doubt to Shout. Um, and it's kind of like going from doubting God to you know shouting joy for Him. Okay. That's that's, that's the theme of it. Um, but what what the major force of the um, the cruise is that we think that that like the workplace is the last frontier for Christianity. You know, there's too many like um, Sunday only Christians, and they go everybody goes to work on Monday. You don't mention God again until the next time you're in church. And we we're looking to try to change that. We want to try to bring God's work into in God's message into work, um, so that there'll be more. Christianity in the workplace, and that's what the cruise is basically all about. I see. So, is it for like leaders of companies or something, or who? Well, is... well we we like to have Christian leaders or, or leaders of companies, even if they're not Christian. Um, of course, we'd welcome anybody because the the things we're going to preach is again, in, in my message is basically is just what I just said, and what my message on the cruise is that once you start doing good for others. Um, the good things will happen to you. And I'm not talking about, you know, like the prosperity Bible, uh, prosperity gospel where, you know, you know, like some of the, you've heard about that um, preacher that was wanting 65 million for a jet or something like that out of Texas. I don't know if you heard about that, but that was on the news. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you give, you know, 90% of your money to the church, you'll get, you know, 10,000% uh, back. And that's kind of prosperity gospel. And, and I think that's who, I think that's hooey. But I think on a personal level, if you um, you know, give give yourself to others, you know, think good things will start happening to you. Exactly, and that that's what you're doing by sharing your story and and having a good attitude. And yeah. I am a firm believer that attitude gets us through a lot, if not everything. And putting our lives in perspective, and forgiving those who have hurt us, and and moving forward instead of dwelling in the past, looking to the future. I mean, there are many things you know that you said here, and how your life was destined to go one direction. 
but that you were able to turn it around and go to the positive rather than the negative. So there is definitely a message here. And I also, for my listeners who have suffered immensely, and I know that there are many out there who have, um, I, I encourage them to contact you and to contact uh, me through my website or your website and and share their stories. And if they need help, I know that you would be there to give them an encouraging word because we all struggle and some, of course, are, are struggling with more. And it, um, it, there is answers, like you said, and we can draw strength from God who cares about us more than we will ever understand. And we don't have to... Um, meet any conditions he comes and meets us wherever we are and that's what you're saying look what look what you were going through and how god totally restored your life i know he certainly did yeah and so, i'm always glad to share my story i could give you my email um yeah we'll if do you want all, on the show so i could give it to okay. you privately well what we'll do is is um we will have a, a post about this and it'll have all your contact information on it, including the cruise and and anything else, including this this broadcast today, so people will be able to contact you and um your email, which we will give privately as well, so that they can contact you that way and talk to you and I know that there will be a lot of people who will want to to uh, speak with you. So I appreciate what you have shared today. I appreciate, I know it's not easy to share some of these things, even though they've happened a long time ago. They still hurt. And yet you are obviously a happy man in a good relationship. And I applaud you for your attitude. And I thank you for being my guest today. I never, ever give up hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.